Chapter Eleven of the Wyvern Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. The Wyvern Mystery by Joseph Sheridan Lafanu. Chapter Eleven. Home. Oh, darling, I can scarcely believe it," she murmured, smiling and gazing up with her large, soft eyes into his. It seems to me like heaven that I can look and speak and say everything without danger or any more concealment, and always have my rye with me never to be separated again you know darling while we live poor little woman said he fondly looking down with an answering smile she does love me a little bit i think and rye loves his poor little bird doesn't he adores her idolatry idolatry and we'll be so happy i hope so darling hope echoed she chilled and a little piteously i'm sure of it darling quite certain he repeated laughing tenderly she's such a foolish little bird one must watch their phrases but i was only thinking i'm afraid you hardly know what a place this carwell is oh darling you forget i've seen it the most picturesque spot i ever saw the very place i should have chosen and any place you know with you but that's an old story his answer was a kiss and darling i can never deserve half your love all i desire on earth is to live alone with my rye yes darling we'll make out life very well here i'm sure my only fear is for you i'll go out with my rod and bring you home my basket full of trout and sometimes take my gun and kill a hare or a rabbit and we'll live like the old baron and his daughters in the fairy tale on the produce of the streams and solitudes about us quite to ourselves and read to you in the evenings and we'll play chess and we'll chat while you work and i'll tell you stories of my travels and you'll sing me a song won't you too delighted singing for joy said little alice in a rapture at his story of the life that was opening to them oh tell more well yes and you'll have such pretty flowers oh yes flowers i love them not expensive ones for we are poor you know and you'll see how prudent i'll be but annuals they're so cheap and i'll sow them myself and i'll have the most beautiful you ever saw don't you love them rye nothing so pretty darling on earth except you 
What is my rye looking out for? Charles Fairfield had more than once put his head out of the window, looking as well as he could along the road in advance of the horses. Oh, nothing of any consequence. I only wanted to see that our man had got on with the horse. Might as well knock up the old woman and see that things were, I was going to say, comfortable, but less miserable than they might be. He laughed faintly as he said this, and he looked at his watch, as if he did not want her to see him consult it, and then he said, Well, as you were saying, oh, about the flowers, annuals, yes, and so they resumed, but somehow it seemed to Alice that his ardor and his gaiety were subsiding, that his thoughts were away and pale care stealing over him like the chill of death. Again, she might have remembered the ghostly Wilhelm, who grew more ominous and spectral as he and his bride neared the goal of their nocturnal journey. I don't think you hear me, Rye, and something has gone wrong, she said at last in a tone of disappointment that rose even to alarm. Oh, tell me, Charlie, if there is anything you have not told me yet, you're afraid of frightening me. Nothing, nothing, I assure you, darling. What nonsense you do talk, you poor foolish little bird. No, I mean nothing, but I've had a sort of quarrel with the old man. You need not have written that letter, or at least it would have been better if you had told me about it. But, darling, I couldn't. I had no opportunity, and I could not leave Wyvern, where he had been so good to me all my life, without a few words to thank him, and to entreat his pardon. You're not angry, darling, with your poor little bird? Angry, my foolish little wife. You little know your rye. He loves his bird too well to be ever angry with her for anything. But it was unlucky, at least, his getting it just when he did, for you may suppose it did not improve his temper. Very angry, I'm afraid, was he? But though he's so fiery, he's generous, I'm sure he'll forgive us in a little time, and it will all be made up. Don't you think so? No, darling, I don't. Take this hill quietly, will you? He called from the window to the driver. You may walk them a bit. There's nearly two miles to go still. Here was another anxious look out, and he drew his head in, muttering, and then he laid his hand on hers, and looked in her face, and smiled, and he said, They are such fools, aren't they? And about the old man at Wyvern. Oh, no, you mistake him. He's not a man to forgive. We can reckon on nothing but mischief from that quarter and in fact he knows all about it 
for he chose to talk about you as if he had a right to scold and that i couldn't allow and i told him so and that you were my wife and that no man living should say a word against you my own brave rye but oh what a grief that i should have made this quarrel but i love you a thousand times more oh my darling we are everything now to one another oh never mind he exclaimed with a sudden alacrity there he is all right tom is it all right sir answered the man whom he had dispatched before them on the horse and who was now at the roadside still mounted he has ridden back to tell us she'll have all ready for our arrival oh no darling he continued gaily don't think for a moment i care a farthing whether he's pleased or angry he never liked me and he cannot do us any harm none in the world and sooner or later wyvern must be mine and he kissed her and smiled with the ardor of a man whose spirits are on a sudden quite at ease and as they sat hand pressed in hand she sidled closer to him with the nestling instinct of the bird as he called her and dreamed that if there were a heaven on earth it would be found in such a life as that on which she was entering where she would have him all to herself and she felt now as they diverged into the steeper road and more sinuous that ascended for a mile the gentle wooded uplands to the grange of carwell that every step brought her nearer to paradise here is something paradoxical is it that this young creature should be so in love with a man double her own age i have heard of cases like it however and i have read in some old french writer i have forgot who he is the rule laid down with solemn audacity that there is no such through fire and water desperate love as that of a girl for a man past forty till the hero has reached that period of autumnal glory youth and beauty can but half love him this encouraging truth is amplified and emphasized in the original i extract its morrow for the comfort of all whom it may concern on the other hand however i can't forget that charles fairfield had many unusual aids to success in the first place by his looks you would have honestly guessed him at from four or five years under his real age he was handsome dark with white even teeth and fine dark blue eyes that could glow ardently he was the only person at wyvern with whom she could converse he had seen something of the world something of foreign travel had seen pictures and knew at least the names of some authors and in the barbarous isolation of wyvern 
where squires talk of little but the last new plough fat oxen and kindred subjects often with a very perceptible infusion of the country patois he was to a young lady with any taste either for books or art a resource and a companion and now the chaise was drawing near to carwell grange with a childish delight she watched the changing scene from the window the clumps of wild trees drew nearer to the roadside winding always upward and steeper and steeper was the narrow road the wood gathered closer around them the trees were loftier and more solemn and cast sharp shadows of foliage and branches on the white roadway all the way her ear and heart were filled with the now gay music of her lover's talk at last through the receding trees that crowned the platform of the rising grounds they had been ascending gables chimneys and glimmering windows showed themselves in the broken moonlight and now rose before them under a great ash tree a gatehouse that resembled a small square tower of stone with a steep roof and partly clothed in ivy no light gleamed from its windows tom dismounted and pushed open the old iron gate that swung over the grass-grown court with a long melancholy screech. it was a square court with a tolerably high wall overtopped by the sombre trees whose summits like the old roofs and chimneys were silvered by the moonlight this was the front of the building which alice had not seen before the great entrance and hall door of carwell grange End of chapter eleven